Father, we come before you as sons and daughters, grateful today as we are on literally the threshold of a new year, a new beginning, a fresh start, a clean slate. And so, Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful that we get the privilege of running through the tape and finishing out strong in 2018 as we lean into 2019. So, Holy Spirit, I would ask a favor today as a son. Would you open our eyes that we may see? Would you open our ears that we may hear? And would you open our hearts that we may know the truth that makes us free? And Father, would you open our spirit that we may encounter the living word, Jesus Christ, today? So we give you this time. Father, again, may we look into 2019 with expectation and hope. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Today we're going to do a message. This is kind of a... Well, those in between, it's an odd time when you're caught between Christmas and the new year and things get strange, weather always gets crazy, we never know what's coming, right? It's going to be in the 60s tomorrow, okay? And then back in the 40s the next, so we never know what's coming, it's like a roller coaster. And so I like to look at this time as a time of reflection, a time to sit back and kind of evaluate, well, how did last year go? Was it a great year, a good year? Uh, am, I, am I really glad it's over? Or am I like, you know, excited about the new thing to come? And so I spent some downtime, and, and when it's cold like this, it kind of helps slow things down a little bit. And so I was thinking in terms of this, about turning the page, writing a new chapter. When I was in junior high, uh, I'll never forget the dreaded assignment that one of our teachers gave us when she said, all right, your assignment, one of your main assignments for this semester, and a large part of your grade will depend on this, is you're to go down to the library, and there's a section of books that have already been pre-selected, and you have to pick one of those books, and it's a first-come, first-served kind of deal, so we're like, you know, running down the halls, and you have to check out one of those books for the semester, and you have to read the book. So there was the first frightening prospect. I'd never completed a book in my life at that point. You have to read the book, and then you have to give an oral book report on that book, and that is for a large part of your semester grade. And I just remember thinking, you know, I would be happier if she would have just stuck a fork in my forearm. I would have been like, yay, that's a much better prospect than having to read a book and then do a book report. And so... Believe it or not, even though you see me up here a lot and I'm pretty comfortable at this, I wasn't comfortable when I was in the 6th, 7th grade. So it's a whole lot of change that's happened since then. So I go down there, I find a book. And uh, the books are picked over. I'm looking, we're sort of going at them. And nothing really appeals to me. And I finally picked up a book and it was the biography of Louis Armstrong, the trumpet player from New Orleans. And I remember getting that book, and I don't know if you remember, I'm going to have to take you back a little bit. Do you remember the smell of libraries when you were a kid in your school? They had a very distinctive odor, did they not? And then when you would crack that, that binding open, they were old, and they had this interesting smell. And I remember opening that old book, and it had that cloth cover on it, remember those? And the binding was old, it looked like it had been well-loved or well-abused, one or the other, hopefully loved. And I started reading that book. And the thought of reading a book that was like, you know, 115 pages was like frightening to me. And as I started reading it, I found myself captured and captivated. So much so that I could not put the book down. 
And, it, and as the semester went through and we were getting towards the end, I was in track. And I remember us going to a track meet across town on a yellow dog school bus. The smell of diesel fumes in the, in the cab and all that. And I remember reading that book and I was getting down to the last few pages. And I was so excited because I was about to actually finish my first book. And I remember getting to the end of the book and reading the last paragraph and then down to the last sentence. And I was actually disappointed when the book was over. I knew something had changed in me when I was disappointed that I was done with a book. I didn't want it to end. That started my love affair with books. And from that point on, I loved to read. I became a voracious reader. I loved biographies especially. But I, I would read anything I could get my hands on. To this day, I'm a voracious reader. Books are an important part of our lives, and they play a massive role in educating us. But a lot of things have changed over the years. In fact, look at the screen here. I want to show you something. Anybody recognize this one? Let's go to the screen. Anybody remember this? Back in 2007, Amazon came out with the Kindle e-reader. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I remember Oprah introduced that on her television show, and it was like the world changed. The world blew up. Suddenly, you could have an entire library in your hands. Annette and I were early adopters, and we bit the bullet, and we got that same Kindle e-reader back then. We both got one, and what was really cool about it is that you could actually... From anywhere you were at, you could, I think they called it WhisperNet or something like that. You could actually download a book anywhere you were at because it actually worked on cell. And it took 30 minutes to download a book. So you didn't have to get in a hurry, but you could literally download a book while you were waiting somewhere and have that book in your fingertips. It changed the way a lot of people read books. I remember early on thinking, this is kind of cumbersome and awkward and I can't write in it. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I write in every book I have, much to the consternation of the schools that I've attended. But as a Bible student, I love to write in my Bible. So it was kind of weird not being able to access or being able to write that down. But that was in 2007. Then fast forward three years, Apple comes out with this crazy invention called the iPad, first generation. I still actually still have my first generation. I don't use it. I just have it. I don't even think it'll start. But I have one. And so Annette and I both, we jumped right on the bandwagon. And we found that not only did we have the internet access and everything else that, that comes with a tablet, but we also had our Kindle library. Again, changing the way we read books from click, click, turn the page, turn the page, to swipe, swipe. And again, the nature of how we did books changed. Now, let's go back in time a little bit to 1455, and I'll show you a picture of one of the first printed books in recorded history, and it was the Gutenberg Bible. Do we have any folks in our church that are of German descent here? Odds are there might be a couple. Yeah, beautiful. First of all, thank you because you gave us the Bible in print form on the first printing press. And that Bible still exists today. Of course, it's, it's uh, on display, and there's a picture of it right there. And that changed the nature of everything, where everyone now had access to the Scriptures. Easy access in the sense of having their own Bible. Something about turning a page appeals to me. 
I don't know about you, if you like to read, even though I've got, I've got my iPad mini, I've got an iPad Pro, I've got iPad, iPad, everything, but here's the deal, as though I can still get my books on here, there's something about and that I prefer of having actually a book in my hand, Amen. that I can turn the page. Now there's something about when you come to the end of a year or the end of a season, it's like closing out a chapter and beginning a new chapter. And so a lot of us right now, we're sitting at the end of 2018, and as my old coach would say, run through the tape, prove it, run through the tape. You know, we want to finish strong, run through the tape, and then step into 2019. Now, I've learned this lesson the hard way. A lot of times, the way you finish one season will dictate at what level you start the next. That's worth writing down. And I've learned that one the hard way. So I want to encourage you to finish strong as we finish up here and then we step into a new season. So turning the page, that's what we're doing today. What does it look like to turn the page and begin to write a new chapter? Isaiah chapter 43. I love the book of Isaiah because a lot, most of the prophecies about Messiah, about Jesus himself, came out of the book of Isaiah. Jesus quoted the book of Isaiah almost exclusively, not totally, but more than any other book. And he shared such a fond love for Isaiah and the prophecies about his own life and his own coming. Many were in there. So there's a lot of great lessons out of the prophet or the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 43, we come upon a scene. So let me give you a little framework and backdrop on this. And we say context is king around here. And so in Isaiah chapter 43, we find that book, or that even before that, addressed to those who had been taken, the Jewish people who had been taken into captivity into Babylon. Babylon was an invader from the north, powerful at that time, powerhouse country. They were dominating everybody. They were taking over. They came and they took over Jerusalem, ransacked it, pillaged it, took everything, shattered, broke, tore apart, everything they could get their hands on, destroyed and decimated the city, knocked the wall down, the fortifying wall, which represented their glory, and, and their strength, knocked the wall down. They, did, they decimated the whole city. Then they took God's chosen people who had been given that land by God. They carted them off in caravans up to the north to settle into Babylon province where now they were away from family, away from everything that was familiar, and wondering what happened. You ever found yourself in a place like that? far removed from what's familiar and wondering what happened? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you even questioned God. Oh, should we even say that? Oh, I've questioned God a lot. You know why? Because my God has got massive shoulders. I used to say He's so big He created Australia, but people in Texas don't appreciate that. So now I just say, so big, he created the Republic of Texas. Amen? He's big. He can handle my doubts. He can handle my questions. He can handle my concerns. Trust me, he can handle yours. There's not a question that you bring to God that you're going to scare him with or surprise him with. In fact, the Scripture says he even laughs at the nations. <laughs> He's up there going, really? So if you've ever found yourself in a place of captivity needing deliverance, needing something fresh, needing clarity, needing 
hope, needing help, needing a pathway. God brings us hope through the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah addresses this prophecy, this word of encouragement to those who needed deliverance, those who needed freedom. And so I think we can relate to him. Look at this in verse 18, Isaiah 43. It's on the screen. And the prophet says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now, I want you to just cue in on that. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. In other words, it's coming. It's coming forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I want you to look at the statement I wrote there below. A way in the wilderness, quote, it means this. Where there is no clear path forward, God creates one. Remember, He created Texas or California for our California visitors. Another big state. He created all of this and yet He, if He created that, I think He can handle my own situation. Where there is no clear path forward, God creates one. Rivers in the desert, where there is no natural relief or refreshment, God provides. He creates a way, and let me say it this way, He makes a way where there is no way, and He brings provision where there was not provision. Let me ask you a question. Do you need a way? Do you need a clear path? Are you wondering if He's listening? Are you wondering if He's left the building like Elvis? Are you wondering if He even hears your cries? My history in God tells me absolutely He does. But I don't always perceive it. Notice the Scripture. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? In other words, do you not even recognize it? Do you not even see it? I don't know if you noticed, but I pray a lot this prayer. Father... Open my eyes that I may see, my ears that I may hear, my heart that I may know the truth that makes me free, and my spirit that I may encounter the living Word, Jesus. What is the idea there? It's, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see what you're doing. I want to be able to recognize God's move, God's activity. As we look into a new year, we wrap up this old year, I want to go in with eyes wide open and with the right lens on. I would encourage you to pray that same prayer. Lord, open my eyes that I may see, that I may perceive. He says this, He's doing a new thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you recognize or perceive it. So I would encourage you to lean into that. Verse 20. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. Remember, they're in captivity. They're off away. He says, I'm going to bring you what you need, even in your wilderness, even in your captivity, even in your desert, even in your barren place. I will bring you what you need when you need it. It was a promise. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. I'm going to give you three things, turning the page, and what it means to write a new chapter. Number one, forget the former things. Number two, 
Do not dwell on or consider the past. And number three, look for the new thing God is doing. So let's talk about the first one. I'll unpack that a little bit. Forget the former things. Forget means in the Hebrew, it literally means to put out of one's mind. So when he says forget the former things, he's saying do not allow that to occupy, occupy your brain space. I don't know about you, but I only have so much room up here. I don't know, maybe you've got a bigger one than me, a lot more gray matter going on than I do, but I can only hold a few things in focus at one time. I try to multitask, Annette will tell you it does not work well. I'm just saying. I don't have a lot of capacity for a lot of extra things. But if I am constantly remembering, if I am constantly thinking about what has happened in the past, what I've lost where I have failed, when I was betrayed, when I was gossiped about, when I was slandered, when I made a mistake, when I crashed and burned, when I sinned. And if I am constantly remembering that, all that is doing is occupying my brain space, which keeps me looking backward. Can anyone relate? You cannot live forward if you're always looking back. Forget means to put out of one's mind. It means cease to think of or consider. So we have to stop and say, wait a minute. I cannot move forward if I'm constantly remembering what's behind me. I have got to take the step forward. I love Romans 12 too. In the New Living Translation, listen to this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, now I bolded it just so you'll see it, but let God transform you. That means change form. That's caterpillar to butterfly. It's a complete transformation. Changing the very form of who you are. Let God change your form into a new person by changing the way you think. Oh, you should land on that. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and person and, and, and perfect. Another translation says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I actually like this a little bit better. I like the flow of the other liter, you know, lyrically, but I love the, the sense of the only way that my form will be changed is by changing the way I think. For as a man thinks in his heart... So is He. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our hearts reveal who we are. And our mouths betray who we are as well. Because we leak out what we are full of. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, I have to forget about the former things. I have to forget about my failures because I asked forgiveness for that and, there, and I was met with forgiveness. I asked for mercy, and I was met with mercy. I asked for grace, and I was extended grace. And the only reason it's ever brought back up again is not because God brings it back up. It's because I bring it back up. And He says, forget the past. Forget. Don't go back. Don't go back. There's nothing there. Forget the former things. Cease to think of or consider. Do you find that there's some former things that are holding you back? 
Do you find that there are some former things that is occupying your brain space that keep you from moving forward? Ever felt like you were running and there was a bungee cord attached to you? And every time you start to get a little traction, it just snaps you back. And you feel like you've got to start all over again. That's not the abundant life that Jesus promised. He says the thief comes only except to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Or another translation, you might have life and have it to the full. I don't know about you, but I'm like, in the old days when you'd pull up to a gas station, say, fill her up. I'm like, Lord, fill her up. Lord, I want to live out of overflow. I want to live out of abundance that Jesus said is mine and that He gave His life for. I can honor Jesus in His death, His life, His burial, His resurrection by living a full and abundant life for His glory. But I have to forget the former things. The second thing is, do not dwell on or consider the past. That word consider, it means to keep the attention directed upon. In other words, you're living there. There are people who are still living in their past. Men, some of you need to get rid of your letter jackets from high school. I'm just saying. First of all, it will never fit again. And it's just occupying space in your closet. Amen? Okay, so nobody here has those. All right. Or everybody does. We can't live in the old days. It's always funny when people talk about the glory days. Oh, you should have been there. Our church was so on fire. It was amazing. What most people don't realize is that when they were there, they didn't think it was amazing. It's funny how time changes things and our memory gets a little selective. Maybe that's a gift from the Lord. Maybe we're just fooling ourselves. Oh, it was so wonderful when we lived back there. It's like the, it's like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Remember, they're like, we want to go back to Egypt because we didn't have to eat manna all the time. In fact, we had three squares a day. We got to eat. They forgot that they were getting beaten separated from their families. They were enslaved. They were humiliated. They were treated like animals. Many of them died. Many of them didn't survive. But they wanted to go back because they remembered it better than it was. Is that not like us? If you think hard enough and long enough, the good old days maybe weren't that good. Old days. He says you can't go live back there. Don't dwell on. Don't consider the past. Don't keep your attention directed upon it. In other words, to have discernment inside and or understanding. Don't keep going back to think you've got to figure it all out. You've heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. But I've quit saying how. I've quit trying to understand everything. And I've just been saying wow a lot. Say wow, not how. Wow. Okay. I don't understand how God can forgive everything I've done. Wow. I don't understand how God could trust me with what I get to do every day. Wow. 
I don't understand how God could entrust me with a marriage and a family that is just amazing. Wow. I've just quit asking how. And I'm saying, thank you, God. Wow. You should try that in 2019. As you lean into a new year, stop asking how and just start saying, wow. In the first service, I almost brought it up, but I didn't because not everybody was here, but we did a series in the first semester, so to speak, in the fall, on awestruck and the miracles of Jesus. We, every week we talked about miracles, we gave some examples, we had some testimonies, and we just saw the miraculous nature of God and that there's another world at work. And I told a story about feathers, and some of you thought I was a nutcase, and some of you brought me your own and said, look, I got one too. And some people sent me pictures of feathers they were finding everywhere, and I just gave this little illustration that sometimes feathers show up, and I don't think they're angels or anything. I don't even know that angels actually have wings, by the way. But these feathers would show up, and it was just sort of a reminder that God's present, a little shoulder tap. I'm standing here with Brian and Leslie, and while they're sharing, a feather is floating around right here. So I'm looking at Annette, and I'm going, a feather, a feather. She's, she's like, what? <laughs> you know how that is when you're trying to say something. And I didn't want to be too obvious because it had been super awkward. But so later she's like, what were you saying? I said, there was a feather just floating around. And you know what it did for me? It just made me smile and rest and relax and go, Jesus is here. He's just letting me, he's reminding me. Or it could have been a feather out of Brian's down jacket. I don't care how it got there. Because how's not important to me anymore. Wow is. So by not going back to the past, not always having to understand, discern everything, you can just say, wow, I'm forgiven. His grace is enough. It's sufficient. He's forgiven my... He's removed my iniquity as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way if you figure it out. If you think about it. Look at Philippians 3.13. You'll appreciate this if you're an athlete. This is about a race. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. He's like, I'm running towards the finish line. I keep hearing Coach Rivera, prove it! Run through the tape in my ear. I'll never get that out of my head. Listen, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal, towards the, the flag, towards the line, towards the tape, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I learned this the hard way in track. That if I'm running, by the way, I was never the fastest, nor was I the slowest. I was a mid-pack kind of guy because I only ran track so I could play football because that was a prerequisite. So I was always mid-pack, but I did learn this, that if I was running in my lane, running my race, and for a nanosecond, I took the time to look and see where everybody else was and whatever everybody else was doing, I would lose my momentum and lose my pace. And immediately I'd fall back. But if I focus on what was right in front of me and realize I'm running toward a goal, there's a tape, there's a finish line, there's a flag. I'm going to cross at some point. May not be in first, but I won't be in last, but I'll do my best race. And I will finish. But I had to stay focused on what was in front of me. 
Because for one nanosecond, if I look the other way, I was off. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, you've got to go forward. You cannot live in the past. Looking into a new year. Number three, look for the new thing God is doing. Literally to accomplish. If you look and break down the Hebrew of that, it means literally to accomplish or bring about a fresh new thing. God is all about new beginnings. He created the seasons. Believe it or not, there are four seasons in some places in America. Not here. But there are four seasons in some places. Where actually one is actually has a defined beginning and end. We don't have, ours is defined in one day, right? And then the next day it's defined again and we never know. So we just sort of celebrate it as, take it as it comes. I did find this out though. Interesting, in Nashville where we live for a number of years, um, they do have four seasons, but you know what? Everybody complains about the weather just as much there as they do here. And they're always like, oh, you never know what the weather's going to do in Nashville. Guess what? Everybody in America says that. So you learned something new today, all right? Everybody says that. It's not just us. To accomplish or bring about a new or fresh thing. Here's the thing. I want to have eyes to see, perceive, and understand what God is up to. Can you imagine stepping into a new year with confident expectation? Joyful expectation. Hope. By the way, the Bible word hope means joyful, confident expectation of a desired good. That's what it means. So when we step into a new year, we're stepping in with confident, joyful expectation. We step in with hope. We're not wishing. We're hoping. We're expecting because God is up to something and I want to be able to see what He's doing. Why? So I can align myself with Him and join Him in His work. I want to align with Him because this is what He's up to because when I recognize His activity, it's His invitation to me to join Him in His work and to get involved with what He's up to. Listen to this in Psalm 119, verse 18. I love this. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. The psalmist here is referring to the old covenant because that's all there was. It was the covenant. It wasn't the old covenant then. It was the covenant. It was the writings. It was the teachings. It was the Levitical laws. He was saying, open my eyes. I want to see because there's wondrous things. Imagine approaching him today with this, this mentality of, Lord, open my eyes in 2019 as I step into a new... Because I want to see wondrous things because you're up to amazing things. God, you truly are awesome in the truest sense of the word. You're amazing. And there's wondrous things. Things that make you wonder. You know what signs and wonders are? They're signs that make you wonder. That's the whole point. They make you open your eyes and see what you didn't see before. I want to go into a new year seeing what I haven't seen before. Listen to this. My one word. I want to share this. Annette and I, we've been doing this now for four or five years now. Stumbled upon this a number of years ago. And here's why. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Let's be honest. Don't be ashamed. I know some of you are like, yeah, I don't want anybody. Nobody does that anymore? Oh, a couple of you. Great. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell the story then. No, I'm kidding. Here's the deal. I used to do it. I'd, I'd sit down, Steve, and I'd do 10 of them. Or 15 one year. And then about a month into it, I couldn't remember where I put my list. Come on, somebody. Am I the only human in the room? And I knew they were good when I wrote them, but now I can't even find them. So I got really discouraged after about 50 years. And I decided, you know what? 
I'm going to do something different. So I decided I was going to come up with a one-word theme. Little did I know there was a whole book and movement about it. I'm a little slow sometimes. So I find out there's this movement called My One Word. It was a pastor, I think, and he did a series on it and wrote a book on it. And there's a website, myoneword.org, if you want a little help with this. This is really cool. So uh, I think it's 2015, 2014, we started doing one word, and Annette would pick a word, I would pick a word, and it would be the word that we would lean into for the year. Like two years ago, my word was simplify because things were cluttered and busy. We'd moved here, and it was like, I need to eliminate and concentrate. I need to cut some things out and get focused. So my word, simplify. And so what we did, we, we made this decision. Hers was thankful that year. We made a decision we're going to buy a decorative piece each year for our word. Last year, my word was present because I wanted, I wanted to lean into the new year, 2018, being fully present. So if I'm with somebody, I want to be all there. If I'm with my home, I want to be all there. Not that I've done it well, but I wanted to be. So whatever I've decided, I want to be present because in the words of Jim Elliott, he said this, wherever you are, be all there. So I want to be all there. So that was my, my word last year. This year, we started talking about it. We invited our life group to do it as well. So when we get back, hint, hint, life group. When we get back, everybody's going to share their one word. So if you haven't, now's your time. So, so we, we did that. And so this year, for the first time, Annette and I decided we're going to share the same word because we're in a new season together. We are now officially empty nesters. And I know it's a, it's a, for some people, people say, are y'all okay? We're like, are we okay? Are you kidding? Woohoo! Wave your hands in the air. I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. No, we're loving it, just by the way. Um, we're, we're enjoying being empty nesters. So we wanted to do something together because it's a new season for us. So Annette came up with a great word. It's the word discover or discovery. We haven't decided which tense we're going to go with. So we're going to find a piece for that. But already, just in the last few days of talking that over, we've already stepped into discovery. It keeps coming up. We go, that's discovery. That's new. That's fresh. It goes back to this passage, too, that says this. He's going to do a new thing. Can you, at any point right now, just lean into, maybe with a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope, and just say, God, what new things do you want to do in my life this next year? I want to be open so I can perceive it, so I can see it, because I want to be about your business this year. So, to go back where we started, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So wherever you are, your homework assignment is, by the way, try coming up with one word that captures this next year. Check out myoneword.org. It's a great website. It even gives you steps and an easy way to do it, three steps, and it gives lots of suggestions. And so if you're interested in that, throw out your list and try going for one word. I know for us it's been a huge blessing for us, so give it a try. Maybe together we'll discover something new this year, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for hope. Thank you for opening your eyes. Thank you that you give us the grace to see what we've never seen before. I pray for my friends and family here. Father, that we would finish 2018 strong by running through the tape. But Lord, that we would also engage 2019 with faith, with hope, 
confident, joyful expectation of a desired good. We lean into it. We don't stress or strain or press into it. We rest into it. Knowing, Lord, that what is amazing and what is wondrous doesn't lie behind us, but it lies in front of us. And so we want to engage it. Would you order our steps? Would you help us take these steps into the new year and to run in with great expectation and to write the next chapter? In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.